Hey, y'all, I'm going to take a second to give a quick shout out to the official mortgage lender of the Hunt Lift Eat podcast. That's Casey Burns of Prime Lending Mortgage. I've known Casey for 10 years and he's the only lender I use. I've used Casey to purchase two houses and the process has been seamless and easy each time. He's the heart of an educator and he truly cares about what's best for his clients. He specializes in VA loans, but can handle FHA, conventional investment loans as well. He's a true expert and specialist in his field, and there's no one I recommend more than Casey. You can contact Casey at casey.burns at primelending.com. Reach him by phone at 919-710-1864. You can also check out all his reviews at www.closewithkasey.com. Thanks, y'all. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Hunt, Lift, Eat podcast brought to you by Hunt, Lift, Eat Official. We've got, uh, we've got an Elk Central podcast tonight, and uh, we're pumped to have some folks from the good state of Colorado coming at us from the owners and operators of Mile High Notes Game Calls. We got Tom and Thomas Deasing coming at us, and uh, these guys have been there, done that when it comes to elk and multiple elk calling championships across many different divisions, world champions, best of the West, and all sorts of things that a, a boy from Georgia doesn't fully understand, but I know it's high end. So Tom and Thomas, welcome to the podcast, guys. Thank you. Appreciate Thanks. you having us. Happy to be here. Yeah, it's, it's great to meet you guys. And I appreciate uh, Garrett and Caleb joining us from the great state of Colorado as well and, and putting you guys on my radar. Yeah, it's a bit of a Colorado takeover tonight for the uh, Hunt with Eat podcast. I love it, man. It's almost fitting. I, I lived there for three years when I was a boy, so it's like it's it's like I'm almost there, like I'm almost part of the crew. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking elk hunting. I guess Colorado's the state to be in. So yeah, absolutely, man. And that's that's what we want to jump into. And you know, as as someone from Georgia, I'd primarily do all my hunting here on the East Coast, and I chase whitetail. And uh, I've got three Western hunts under my belt, but haven't had the pleasure to chase elk yet. So I brought in my two experts. I brought uh, Caleb and Garrett to, to talk the talk, and I'm here to mostly listen, glean any information. I mean, you can be a little bit loose with the term experts. I mean, we're occasionally lucky. We like to hike around the woods with a bow and then might be able to find an elk here and there. But I mean, to be honest with you guys, I'm super stoked for this podcast tonight. Literally any alcoholics out there. If you don't know who Mile, Nine, uh, Mile High Note Game Calls are, you're probably still under a rock. If you don't pay attention to the World Elk Calling Championships, you need to. These guys are top-notch at their game, and they know exactly what they're talking about and when they're talking about it. So I think we've uh, boosted your ego enough there, Thomas. Tom, let's talk about Mile High Note. Awesome. Let's dig in. Well, Dad, I'll let you take over. You're the one who started it here. Sure. So uh, Mile High Note Game Calls was started in 2013 and kind of was just a uh, – by accident kind of company we uh you know i've always been a competition elk caller i think I, my first worlds was in 1990 so i don't know how many years that adds up to but it's a lot of years and well i was even born before in that, that so yeah you know yeah <laughs> even before that we were doing some contests little contests at jamborees and things like that so it was always something i really wanted to do and got so competitive that I decided, you know, one of the problems that I always ran into was I'd fall in love with this call and then I'd, I'd wear it out and I'd go buy another one. And it just didn't seem like it was the same call. It was like, man, and no consistency in it. So I thought, you know, I want to get into this consistency, consistency thing. So I went out and did some research, bought the presses, did all that stuff. And 
and man, I didn't have any idea how big a deal it was going to be to just make an elk call. But I, I think I probably made 2000 elk calls and all of them were bad. And then finally I hit the right recipe with the thickness of latex, the stretch of the latex, got one dialed in and I thought, okay, I can, I can deal with this call, you know? So I started using that in the contest and I won some contests with it and stuff. And then I thought, man, you know, I should probably make a couple different ones, maybe a single and a double. So I kind of did that and started passing some calls around. Everybody seemed to like them. And I thought maybe I can make something out of this thing, you know? So started uh, kind of bagging some calls and putting little uh, headers on them and stuff and selling them around and handing them out to friends and stuff. And that's kind of what it's grown into. And now we're in Shields and Jacks and a bunch of stores and man, I'm still trying to do it out of my basement, but it's getting harder and harder to, to keep it going just me so and, and thomas you know he he helps whenever he can and we've got a pretty good crew of pro staff guys that you know i don't know if uh everybody's probably watched duck dynasty but it's kind of like duck dynasty at my house when it's the uh off you know kind of the off season and i tell everybody okay we gotta have a call party all these guys come over i buy pizza and beer and we're joking around and packing calls and packaging and it's it's actually a lot of fun really enjoy it so so i gotta know then if that's the case who is Cy? like who's uncle Cy in this group because i gotta know i picture thomas being the guy over there drinking sweet tea sitting with his little call i'll tell you what boys mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah i would say thomas is probably that guy he's got the beard for it and everything so but he really grows it out. <laughs> Shoot, I was going to say I was Willie keeping everybody in line. <laughs> so where were you, uh, like, where were you learning to make the calls? Were you starting to just, like, essentially reverse engineer other calls? Or did you have somebody kind of, like, giving you advice? What, what was kind of the way that you uh, essentially started teaching yourself to make these calls? That's a good question. Um, you know, when I bought the the presses and everything, I got a CD on how to make a how to make a read. You know, so I kind of went off that. That's what I started with, and then I realized, wow, there's a lot of different variants out there. So, you know, I knew a few guys in the call industry and kind of poked their brain a little bit, and um, and then I just realized, you know, it's really just a matter of of trial and error you know i so i bought like four or five different thicknesses of latex and i just sat there behind the press making a call and calling me oh that one sucks you know so that's a little tighter a little tighter you know oh man i need a thicker piece of latex than that i mean it's not an easy thing to just figure out you know it's and once you dial those recipes in it's easy to to sit there and, and kind of produce them over and over again. Cause we have little meters that stretch the latex and, you know, I'm real particular about the stretch and the thickness and we just lock those recipes in, but every call is a different recipe. So um, you can imagine how long it took me to just come up with the recipes. It, it literally, I made thousands of calls before I got them where I wanted them. And just for the record listeners, we are talking elk calls right now when we're talking about thickness of latex and different types of latex, we're only talking about elk calls here, all right? Get your minds out of the gutter. <laughs> but let's talk about the next part of this. No, we won't start. So, we'll tell you how we started making them then. <laughs> Just <kidding>. <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's why you were born in 1990, wasn't it, Thomas? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So I got a question for you guys. You have primarily three different latex calls. You have a single read, a double read, and a triple read. Uh, if I remember correctly, brown, green, and orange. Yeah. But let's talk right. about the real game changer, the antagonizer. All day long. Oh. When you guys came out with this bugle tube, it was a game changer. Yeah, and I'd like to tell you on that that, like, I spent years of engineering, you know, trying to figure out how to do it and everything. And honestly, I kind of lucked into the design. Um, it all started with a wiffle ball bat that I had found in a Kmart one at one time. It had a it had a rubber ring in the middle, and I swore that it knocked down the vibration of the bat. And you know, I think at the time Rocky Mountain had came out with a tube tamer rubber band that they were putting on their bat. And I thought, man, this is just perfect. You know, it's built in. There's a canal there, and then it started. I could tell that it was building back pressure in there and everything. So I was literally driving the state of Colorado to every Kmart store in Colorado and buying every wiffle ball bat they had of that brand. And then I'd go home and I'd cut the end off of it. And I had a little connector that I'd put on the bat, had a person making my sleeve to slide over the bat. And that's how it started, you know, and, and it was a clear, a, not acrylic, but a clear plastic bat, you know, but we slide that sleeve over it and, you know, sometimes a little connector would come loose and I'd be like, oh, my God, you know. And so then finally I was like, well, I got to do something because Kmart's out of the bats. So I got to figure out how to get more bats. So I called the company directly. I'm, I was trying to remember what company it was. I don't really remember, but um, it was one of those athletic type sporting companies, you know, and I called them up and I said, I'd like to buy some of these bats. You don't have to package them. I just want them in bulk. And they were like, well, how many do you want? I go, well, how about 700? And the guy was like, what? You want 700 of them? <laughs> he goes, what are you doing with them? And I go, you don't really want to know. I'm not using them for baseball bats. Yeah, so I actually purchased 700 of them from this company. And, you know, that lasted a little while. And then I ran, I was starting to run out of those. And I said, I got to figure something out. So that's when I decided finally to bite the bullet and get into this really, you know, jump off the cliff. So I bought a mold and had somebody create a mold for the design and you know we made a couple small changes to it and everything and man it just all that first shipment came in and i was like this thing is awesome man it sounds so good <laughs> i love that that's so authentic like that's I, that's such a good origin story that's awesome yeah that's cool and i'm happy to not be traveling around looking for bats at kmart anymore so that's <laughs> moving on up I'd say, uh, you know, the, as far as the bat goes, Caleb, there, the bugle tube goes, <laughs> once upon a time a bat, um, like you said, the sound that you get out of it just has been second to none. Um, and, you know, I think it has a lot to do with that rubber gasket in the middle and the back pressure that the small end, opening on the end creates. But, you know, we've had a lot of guys, whether they're competition callers, hunters, whatever they may be, that, uh, you know, come to an expo and hear us call and want to, bugle through our tube because they've used you know competitors tubes or whatever it may be and it's amazing how many of them actually are surprised by the sound you get out of it because it's not you know a ginormous tube like a lot of the like phelps or um what's that new one out now that slayer game calls they have slayer, a giant yeah. one out um you know and the sound is better out of our tube than those big ones so 
Um, we've had a few competitions throughout the years. Uh, one in the recent year was um, Elk Call Academy. I don't know if you guys ever followed him or not, but every year Brian Batiste, he does a um, um, bugle tube, or Michael Batiste, sorry, does a, a bugle tube challenge. And basically he goes in the woods. I don't know if you guys have ever watched it or voted on it or not, but he goes in the woods, doesn't tell you what he's using. He uses all the bugle tubes out there, new, old, uh, the aluminum tubes, whatnot. And, and it's just up to the people completely to vote for it. And, you know, the, the last time he did it, it was, I think we won, what, 67% of the votes? 60, or 65%? 65%, yeah. 65% of the votes with our bugle tube. And, you know, it was against the new Phelps metal tubes and uh, uh rock mount game calls aluminum tubes and oh that's so, awesome you know it's super lightweight durable i ran it over with my four-wheeler a few times on accident <laughs> and uh you know it just it, it got a little oblonged but i just rolled it back and it was fine so and the great thing about our tube is it's like half the cost you know i mean yeah. our tube's 30 bucks our tube's 60 you know so it's I was just going to say, talking about price point on these designs that you guys have, I think the total package that you can buy at Shields or Sportsman's, you can get the antagonizer, all three calls, or is it just two calls? Two calls. Two yeah, calls for under, what's that total price? It's 48 bucks, but, and you get a, you also get a, a calling class with it, like on a yep. audio class and a call case. So yeah, it's, it's quite a good deal. It's our it's best product actually. Well, and now that you guys mentioned the whole bat story, you know, I knew a little bit about it, but I just officially nicknamed this bugle tube Wilson for the record. <laughs> I have used it as a riffle ball bat. I will use it as a riffle ball bat moving forward. It knocks pine cones. About... <laughs> Sometimes oh, when we're bored, we hit pine cones with them. <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's pine cone baseball when you're up there spotting and stuff and you get bored and you got you to gotta keep yourselves awake a little bit. Yeah. Well, when you talk about durability, I mean, durability in a call is a huge thing, right? Because it's not just about talking to elk with a reed. There's a lot of things we have to do in the woods in order to fool these elk. And a lot of the times it's rubbing trees, raking trees and beating yep. trees. You know how many times I beat the side of a pine tree with this thing and it still likes me and it's still Wilson. <laughs> it still loves me. Before, uh, before we go any more in depth, we have a lot of listeners on the East Coast and, well, frankly, all over the United States and Canada, and uh, maybe not everybody's familiar with how an elk call operates. And I may be showing my ignorance here. I'm more familiar with a turkey call than an elk call. But Tom or Thomas, would you, you know, Thomas, you were just mentioning like back pressure and a rubber gasket. Could you give like the the rundown of kind of how the, the mechanics behind an elk call this particular alcohol we're referencing works with through, through a bugle tube. You want to take that Thomas? Sure. Um, so you mentioned Turkey calling, uh, you know, the, the diaphragm call is what makes the noise. So it's the same exact thing as a, a Turkey call minus it doesn't have any cuts in it. Uh, if you put cuts in the diaphragm call, you can't hit the high notes that you need with a bugle. So, or a cow call for that matter. So, um, you know, I, I prefer using our triple read just because that's my preference. Everybody has a preference, just like you said with turkey calls. Some guys like a, a double read, a triple read, a cutter, a, a, you know, ghost cut, whatever. You have your preference on that. So first step, you know, is just picking out the read that best fits you and what you prefer. And the the back pressure portion of it, you can kind of relate to 
I guess if you got any goose hunters on here, duck hunters, um, you know, with the goose and duck call, you have um, your your hand that you use to kind of block the end of the call. And that causes some back pressure for some of the lower moans and groans. Uh, obviously, with a bugle tube, it's a lot longer. You can't necessarily always put your hand on it. So if you just have a wide open tube on the end of it there, um, you know, it, it's just it's just wide open. It doesn't create any back pressure on there. So with it being a smaller opening on the end of the tube, it creates more of a back pressure scenario on the tube. So it allows you to get that more guttural noises that a bull makes. Um, if you've been elk hunting for a long time, you know, you may use one of those small tubes where it's uh, uh, like retractable, looks like a vacuum hose, right? You let a bugle through one of those versus uh, our tube, you're definitely going to hear the difference. It's just going to be through the vacuum hose, it's going to be more of a like hollow noise. You won't get any of that depth from it. So um, that's kind of, I hope that explained the back pressure portion of it. Um, more relatable to like a goose call. Like I said, if you put your hand on the back of a goose or duck call, you get different noises. If you leave it wide open, full bore, it's super high pitch and loud. So like I said, with our tube, it encases the sound, um, having that smaller hole on the end there with it still being able to get really loud. So that's what's uh, really unique about our tube. Yeah, I love that. That explains it incredibly well. I appreciate that. Mm -hmm. And for the record, guys, I know there's a lot of people out there who probably have never really used a reed necessarily, not even just turkey calling. Getting to where you can make that sound is a huge portion of it. So if you sound like a turkey right out the gate for a little bit, that's fine. You're learning. That's a process, right? Learning how to make the noise, that's where you start. So don't get down on yourselves as you start to do this. But I think that's also a great portion of the CD that comes with your guys' products. That is probably the first thing that I listened to when I learned how to how to call was that CD. I think I won a contest on Instagram with you guys or something like that. Is how oh, I, got I my think first, I remember that, yeah. I think it was the very first contest you guys ran, and I won a contest on there for some picture or something like that. Yep. But that CD was a game changer because it taught me that I can sound dumb like a dying turkey or rabbit. And I could still learn how to call elk. <laughs> yeah, it's really the high note that's the key to calling. And once you get the high note, I can teach you how to elk call in, in a short period of time. I mean, it, you know, the high note is definitely the key. And like I tell people all the time, you know, some of the worst elk calls I ever came came from bulls. So you don't have to be a champion elk caller to call an elk in. You know, you just got to be willing to put yourself out there and do it. You know, too many times people keep the calls in their pocket and, you know, they'll take one of my classes and, you know, I get guys that say, well, the first scenario opening morning, I bugled and I saw a bull run over the ridge. So I figured I scared him. So I didn't try calling the rest of the season. I, and I always tell him, do you know how many bulls I've scared for every bull that I kill? I call in, I probably scared four or five of them. you got to <laughs> be willing to do it, man, and just get out there and, and let it rip. I always tell people, if you ever went elk hunting with me, you'd be over there after the day with your buddy on the other side of the truck going, this guy calls way too much. Oh, my <laughs> God. That's all he does is call all day long. I live and die by it. And I'll argue a point with anybody. You know, you, you see, like, people on social media saying too many people are calling, blah, 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 blah. Thomas and I, that's all we do is call. And, and we kill elk just about every year. I mean, it works, and that's what people have to really know. If you're going to call, you got to get in there and do it. 
Yeah, definitely. Um, I was going to touch Caleb on kind of something you said a minute ago. Uh, you know, when you first get the call, don't be discouraged. Um, my dad and I, we've taught a lot of people to call. We've, you know, from my dad doing lessons, one-on-one -on -one lessons to us doing seminars to, you know, me doing lessons, teaching friends or family, whoever it may be. I'll be honest, some people can't even make a noise for three or four days. They put the thing in their mouth and they just can't get it. And some people pick it up, you know, instantly. So everybody's a little bit different. And again, it goes to um, using the read that best fits you. You know, we do have, uh, Caleb, you mentioned our double single, our single, double and triple reads. Um, we do have smaller framed reads as well. So for people who have narrow mouths, you know, it fits in their mouth better for women, for children. Um, or for men who have smaller mouths. So uh, we do have different uh, styles on that. Uh, as of right now, you know, we don't do any of the domes or anything, but um, uh, our personal opinion on that is more of a, a gimmick than anything. But um, I think they do have a purpose when you're initially learning how to call it, helps you place it where it needs to go. But once you learn, I feel like you have more uh, variance in a non-dome call. But... Um, Again, that's that's our input on that. So, you just uh, you mentioned you had uh, you guys are doing classes and seminars and stuff for for elk calling. You guys want to or you want to break down kind of what your classes look like, kind of like length of time, price points, kind of the whole the whole shebang on what you guys do for your classes. Sure. So, um, you know, I, I I usually open the classes with COVID and everything, there was some challenges. So we started some zoom classes, which kind of opened the country up for me, honestly. Um, the zoom classes are, are worthwhile and they're good classes, but nothing beats an in-person one-on-one elk calling class. I mean, you know, the sound is impeccable. You can really hear well. Um, the zoom classes are good, you know, and, and I do some every week, just about, um, and, and it just booms, you know, I, I wish I could get guys fired up about classes in April and May and June, you know, but all of a sudden come July and August, everybody wants a class, you know, so I actually just shut down my classes for the rest of the, basically for the rest of the year, because I need a little time to shoot my bow and, you know, start preparing for the elk season. So I could book a class every night of the week. I mean, that's how busy I am with it. And, um, thank God that my wife is the saint she is because she's upstairs and, you know, now it's become kind of a calling contest for her. She's a judge. She sits upstairs and after my clients leave, she goes, Oh, he was about a five or he was about an eight. You know, he learned really fast. I couldn't <laughs> believe how good he was, you know? And so, I mean, the classes range, I, I basically have two options right now, but I can curtail a class to anybody and, and you know, a, a group of people, a single person. Um, to my knowledge, I'm one of the only people doing this, I think, one-on-one. -on -one. And that's what my niche is because, you know, you can take some great online courses now, but you don't get any feedback. You don't get feedback, hey, you know, you need a little more tongue pressure move that reed back in your mouth a little bit or, you know, all these things that I can do for them and make them a better elk caller, you know, so they're really worthwhile. And I've got two classes. I've got an hour class where I basically just work um, on 
cow sounds and bull sounds with the diaphragm read. It's an hour class, $60. And normally I can get people cow calling and bugling in an hour. Um, not always, you know, like Thomas mentioned before, it's uncomfortable sometimes to sit there for a half hour and we can't get a sound made. But I'll tell you, since we came out with those new reads, it's a game changer. Those little slimline reads, if somebody's struggling with my regular size read, 80% of the time I can give them a, a slimline call and boom, there's the high note. I'm getting it and then we're off and running. So it, it works out really well. And uh, my next class that I offer is a two-hour class and it's the same hour. We work on uh, cow sounds for a half hour, bull sounds for a half hour. And then I run through an elk calling seminar where I take you through basically my 35 plus years experience in the woods, all the mistakes I've made. I show some videos. Um, Thomas killed a nice unicorn bull. We called it, um, that hunts one of the things I show. And cause we were lucky to kill that bull because I was making all kinds of mistakes. Thomas always points them all out, but to everybody, but, um, it, it's a great learning tool, you know, and, and, I have about three or four videos on there that are really good learning tools where, you know, uh, what you do and when not to call or when a bull's coming in and how you redirect a bull without getting pinpointed. A lot of different things like that. And we show those on video and stuff. And we just get rave reviews on our classes. I mean, people are like, man, I wish I knew I could have done this years ago. You know, so it, it's it's a really good deal. The the two hour class is one hundred and twenty dollars. And but with the class, you get a kit. So, you know, you're getting a free forty eight dollar kit. So, I mean, it's a great deal, you know, so. Everybody keeps telling me I need to raise my prices, but I don't know. I just like doing it. It's my passion and I like helping people. So. All that help is uh, creating some competition in the woods, though, I keep telling them. So, yeah. <laughs> Got a lot of good elk hunters up around us now. <laughs> but uh, um, Garrett, to answer some of your other questions too about the seminars, you know, we do do seminars throughout the uh, pretty much summer months. Um, we got a few coming up here. We actually have one tomorrow night in Shields here in Johnstown. Uh, so we'll be doing a seminar there. Uh, it's kind of a uh, opening act, if you will. Division of Wildlife is having a uh, I guess meeting there as well, trying to get some people there to discuss some things. So, um, but as far as the seminar goes, you know, they're great. Um, but you just don't get the one-on-one -on -one like you do with the calling class. It's more, you know, you get 30 people sitting in stands or whatever it might be. And it's not, it's more of a hunting seminar than anything. It's not, um, you know, like a one-on-one -on -one calling lesson. We go over what calls mean what, what to do and what scenarios, but it's not like a bring your call and call along with us. Cause you know, you get that going, you got 30 adults. We've, we've done that before too. And that's, yeah. that's a mess. Remember that time we, Thomas, remember that time we had the four H group? I oh, think it could have gone in the Guinness book of world record for the biggest calling class. I think we had like 70 <laughs> people in this room, all of them with reeds in their mouths, all calling at the same time. And we it's were like out. walking down aisles, trying to help people. I mean, it was like, I was ready to kill myself after that hour. I was like, oh my God. Yeah, it was, it was pretty, pretty wild. And, you know, we do uh, the camp for kids at the uh, Colorado Bow Hunters Association Jamboree every year. It's the Ted Nugent camp for kids. And we do a calling lesson and it's all day event. And they have, uh, you know, kid groups of kids that come through throughout the day, like 20 in a group all day long. So it's, 
yeah, that's it's it's something getting it that many kids trying to call. So, yeah, but it's great, you know, what? seeing the kids come back year after year and they remember us and, you know, they're getting better at calling and, you know, it's they'll come throughout the whole weekend. And that's what it's all about, you know, just getting that younger generation into it. So um, yeah, yeah, man. the headache, the headache is worth it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, and that personal touch is what customers and f- folks who are also passionate about hunting elk is that's what they're going to remember. I mean. I was looking on your website when I saw you offered seminars via Zoom. I was like, what an incredible, what a brilliant pivot, not only just from a business point of view, but just from, you just mentioned, Tom, like your passion is just working with people and, and teaching them, right? Yeah. So like, I'm a high school history teacher and I've taught fully virtual for an entire year via Zoom. And you're right, it's not as effective as having a kid sit down in front of you when you can get on their level and kind of walk them through whatever you're working on. Um but it still is effective and, you know, it's a way for, you know, me to connect and, you know, I'm going to take your class in the future when I go out and hunt with Caleb and Garrett next year. Um, like that's really April, cool. That- right? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I should Some start discounting from- my April classes just to get more people to take them. <laughs> I'll take it whenever you want. I understand now it's a, getting a little late in the game. Everybody, you know, September gets close and everybody starts shooting their bow a little more and, you know, dust off the calls and start and starts yeah. practicing. So I understand why you got to shut down, but I think it's really calls cool. Heads. Yeah. Those seminars are awesome. Well, honestly, I think that's one reason why I love you guys so much. You know, I've gotten to know you personally over the past decade pretty well, I think for the most part, your guys's contribution back to the community is just unrivaled. Your, uh, your humility when it comes to being great people, it's just phenomenal, right? That's the whole reason your guys' products do so well, but I am kind of curious, what do we got on the future books for Mile High Note? I know uh, everybody talks about Elk 101, everybody talks about Phelps, but there's really not a lot of community talk about Mile High Note. I think you guys are one of the under-discovered companies that really needs to get out there, and I, I'm kind of wondering when the world's going to wake up and realize how badass you guys are. <laughs> Yeah, well, that comes with some challenges as well. And, you know, I'm a very competitive person and it's hard for me sometimes because I want to compete with the Phelps and the Rocky Mountain guys. And, you know, all those guys are, first of all, they're all great guys. I mean, I've been calling against Rocky and Corey and, you know, all those guys for 30 years, you know, and and we're close. I mean, you know, I see Rocky hugs me, puts his arm around me, you know, we shoot the shit at the national contest and you know we're the old guys there now so but you know my biggest problem my biggest challenge to compete with those guys is they do this for a living i've got a full-time job so i'm trying to do this kind of as a part-timer you know and i'm struggling more and more with time i just you know i don't have the time so i i need to make the decision to to really jump in with both feet and maybe even hire somebody to help me build calls. And I'm just so anal about making sure that they're built correctly. I don't want to give up the, I've let Thomas do some, but I don't want to give up the, the quality, you know, without really checking it out. So, uh, but Thomas is our Turkey call cutter for sure. He's the master at it. I can't cut a Turkey call. Uh, I I might get one done that's mediocre, but I'll waste six calls trying to get one cut. So Thomas can cut them every time perfectly, you know. So he's the turkey call master cutter guy. And then, uh, 
but it, it's tough because we all have our own jobs and our own lives and you know shields is a big company and when they place an order i feel it and this week you know i've got i've got another show coming up elk fest in estes park and it's always a different show but but i always sell a lot of calls up there and shield or uh, jack stores came out of nowhere with an order this week and it surprised me and i was like oh my god so i've been down in the basement all this week between elk calling classes and work and trying to get their order filled you know and and uh so it, it's it's a big undertaking as competitive as i want to be it's hard giving up my day job because it's just too lucrative but well, and I think that's another another portion of you guys too, right? You're doing this part-time and you are still so successful in making such great calls and still producing the quality that you guys are. And I'm glad you brought that up, Tom, because I know you and Thomas both have full-time jobs. Yeah. And uh, Thomas, I think you just got engaged, right? I did, yeah, back in uh, April. So you're really not going to have any time to make any calls other than turkey calls, <laughs> but I mean, shoot. And that <laughs> was, was a long time it. coming, just saying. Yeah. That engagement. <laughs> I had to put her, you know. Just she, saying. She I had to. Past. I had. To, I had to threaten to adopt her before he finally did engage. Got engaged. So. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it took me a while. You know, I'm 30, getting married now, but you know, it's okay. I found the right one, and you know, she's she's a hell of a trooper. She puts up with me through every season, and she's, hell, she butchers my animals for me. You know, she name it. She. All right, I got. I don't want to spend too much time on it, but I got a story to tell you about this girl. So, what was it? A couple years ago, Thomas, you were up elk hunting in your area. I was up elk hunting in my area. So yeah, I was, was muzzle loading. Thomas was bow hunting, and I get a text from him, and it's his. It's a selfie shot of this look on his face, and he's like. I just smoked a big bull, you know, and I'm like, oh, my God, awesome, you know. So I'm waiting for the next text. Well, four hours later, I get the next text, and he found the bull. Everything was good, you know. Meanwhile, one of Thomas's friends was with me, and I was he was filming, and I was trying to kind of show him the ropes on elk hunting and everything, but he had to leave. So he left me up there by myself. So Thomas brings the elk home, goes home, Drops well, it off. Well, I I shot a cow two days before oh, that yeah, too. Oh yeah, that's true. So he had two elk. I filled both my elk tags in that's three right. days. So I was, you can't leave that part. I was an epic season. Yeah, it was an epic season. <laughs> so he, it wasn't just one elk, elk; it was two elk. Yeah, he killed a cow and a bull, and the bull was a nice bull. It was a it was a big bull. It was like pushing three hundred. I mean, it was a good bull. It was like ended up three hundred five public land over the counter bull, pretty dang good. Nice. Yeah. And uh, but he tells me, Dad, I don't want you up there by yourself. I'm coming up. And I'm like, well, what did you do with your elk? And he goes like, oh, I, that's okay. JJ's going to butcher it while I come up and hunt with you the rest of the week. I was like, oh, my God. Wow. How can you not have married this girl yet? What a like, winner. <laughs> Unreal. Anyway, that's just a story. She's a great, great girl. We love her, and she's definitely part of our family. So <laughs> We might have to do a part two of this podcast and, and just get the women on this because, you know, yeah. the stories they can probably tell are going to be unreal. Yeah, house sounding like an elk calling festival, <laughs> butchering up Thomas's elk for him while he goes and hunts. Shoot, they might be better than you guys. 
Yeah. <laughs> Probably knows the story better than me. She's heard me tell every story about a thousand times. And I think I see her eyes roll on the back of the head every time I tell it. So got a, got a reputation apparently for being a good storyteller. So, you know, it's, uh, it's not a bad thing, I guess, but um, yeah, you know, Caleb, get back to your question about, you know, what's next from all high note game calls and, um, we've, we've come out with a few new products, you know, even, even with us having day jobs and, you know, before everybody feels too bad for my dad saying he makes all the calls himself, you know, you heard him say it himself, he doesn't trust anybody else to do it. So, um, we offer the, the, the guy help all the time and he likes, I think he likes it. So <laughs> but, uh, eventually here we're going to, you know, maybe he'll let me make a call. So. <laughs> but uh yeah you know we, we came out with some new product this year uh we have a patriot series so if you go to our website uh, it's not in any stores yet but we have a patriot series line of calls all of our calls the diaphragms themselves our american flag series um calls single read double read and we have a bugle tube um that we've been talking about the antagonizer uh our patch our logo patch on it is an american flag patch as well uh, so we kind of wanted to do this patriotic series and we got uh, Rocky Mountain Heroes Foundation, which is out of northern Colorado here as well. They take veterans hunting. Uh, we got them involved nice. and we donate five uh, percent of all of our proceeds from uh, this these calls to that foundation. Uh, so, you know, uh, but any other new calls we've came out with, I guess we got a, um, one we're working on right now. Some more external read calls uh, for the guys who can't you know, use diaphragm. So we're working on something like that as well. But uh, the big, big sales this year at the shows were the Patriot series, you know, just like we said, we love giving back and, you know, especially if we can give back to people who gave everything for us. So, right. You know, that's a huge portion of what we are here at Hunt Lifty. You know, the, the majority of the individuals that are with the organization are all either active duty or veterans. So that's, you hit home when you start talking about stuff like that with us. It's awesome. And we love it. And I think that's big part or a big portion of what you guys do again, just giving back to the community. But you know, you did mention something in there that we haven't talked about yet. Uh, my favorite elk call when I couldn't figure out how to cow call the floozy, the greatest cow call name ever, the <laughs> floozy. <laughs> um, do you guys have more products than just reeds and tubes? So it's kind of cool seeing what you're going to do and hearing about the growth opportunities you guys have. My next question, though, we've talked about stories. There's some stories that are left untold that we haven't heard yet, that I haven't heard yet, other than really talking to you guys a little bit. Twenty Was that 2020 when you killed your ram and the 2021 moose? Who wants to take that off? We've got to hear well, about that's how yeah, it. Was actually, yeah, it was actually, Caleb, they were both in 2021. So our season uh, last year, both were 2021. But um, I... I had the opportunity of moose hunting in Colorado, which is a once in a lifetime opportunity in Colorado for a bull moose. As long as you're successful, you can try drawing again if you're unsuccessful, but um, let's be real. You're probably not going to draw again, <laughs> but uh, um, I actually drew the tag in 2020. So um, I remember talking to you about that, Caleb, and you know, it was pretty exciting times and um, I drew uh, kind of close to home here. It wasn't too far, about two hours away from home. So I was lucky enough to be able to get up and scout pretty much every weekend. I found out I drew the tag come June. Um, you know, I went up scouting. I had some help with some friends and my dad, he came up, my, my fiance, you know, she came up pretty much every weekend with me too. And, uh, we, we hit the, hit the dirt and put on the miles and, 
Uh, in 2020 in Colorado, for those of you who don't know, you know, we had significant fires uh, that year. And one, one of the fires started in my units that I could hunt and, you know, just watching it grow every day. I mean, I, I've never watched a fire so hard in my life. And, um, you know, it was, it was a devastating fire at that time. It was the biggest fire that Colorado had seen. So, um, it was getting closer and closer to my season. Talked to a few of the hunters, they were turning their tags in. I was like, man, I just can't, can't turn my tag in. It, you know, I might not ever draw again. So, um, I, I ended up scouting about 30 days that summer t- in total, just every weekend I could and found some good moose, you know, started patterning them, started nicknaming them, found one big moose. Um, I ended up calling ghost and he, I actually never even saw him in 2020. I saw a lot of pictures, everybody else and their mother saw the moose, but I couldn't seem to find the dang thing. So, um, never even found him in 2020. Um, I get about a week before the season starts and they have pretty much the entire unit shut down except for one little section. And, um, he was hanging out on the South side of the road and I couldn't step foot on that side of the road. Even if it was 10 yards off the road, I wouldn't, wasn't able to shoot them because the fire, they had that whole section closed. The forest service did. So, um, long story short, <clears throat> I think it was about five days before the season opener. I get a call from the Division of Wildlife, and they said I could turn my tag in with a guarantee of getting it back in 2021. So I still, huh, Dad? I still debated it. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. We like, had this one point, little. We had yeah, one we had, little section of ground left that, and the moose was crossing over there. One of the big moose. So we were yeah. tempted. I, I was trying to get him to do it. I was like, we could kill a moose, dude. Let's not yeah, turn I, it I, in. I, and and he finally did. He turned it back in. So. Yeah, ended up turning it in. It just, I don't know, the fire was getting worse and worse. And, you know, I, I hadn't seen that moose, didn't know where he went. And, you know, I, I was in the back of my mind. I'd probably be the only hunter um, in the unit, but the unit shrunk significantly, probably 80%. <laughs> so um, ended up turning the tag in, and then we went elk hunting instead. And uh, you shot a bull that year. I didn't get one, but. So fast forward to 2021, you know, I, I made the division, put it in writing. I had emails saved. I had signatures. I had everything. I'm like, you're giving me this tag back because it's, you know, once in a lifetime deal here and I'm not giving up that opportunity. So 2021 rolls around. I know I have a moose tag going into it. Um, and then, you know, my dad calls me just to add on a little bit more drama to the 2021 season. And sheep and goat are the first ones they draw in Colorado. And my dad happens to draw a sheep tag um, in a local unit nearby here as well. And there was one sheep tag for that year, one, one tag available for the unit and he drew it. And um, he'd been putting in for like 27 years. Finally drew. I'm not going to lie. There was some tears when I saw that email. Yeah. No kidding. That's incredible. <laughs> Golly. Yeah. That's amazing. So then the pressure was on and in this particular sheep tag he drew is was really awesome for this year with the moose tag too, because most of sheep hunts in Colorado are September timeframe ish. Um, maybe a little bit in August as well, but this tag in particular is actually a December season. So it's during the rut. It's a December archery season. So, um, it worked out perfect because we could focus on the moose in September and then we could, you know, switch gears and start scouting for the sheep and 
uh, put in the work for that for the December hunt. Um, so fast forward again, scouted through the summer. Oh, about another 30 days. So I put in a good 60 days of scouting over the past two years. And, you know, it's really cool to see the moose grow and finding the same moose as I did the year before and still never found ghost. And um, it was coming up to about a week before the season. And I had this other one I nicknamed Little Blackie. And um, my dad really, truly wanted me to shoot that one. He was one, my but... favorite. <laughs> <laughs> that was, uh, I'm glad I didn't. And I think he is yeah. now as well after seeing the one I did get. But yeah, um, I told JJ, and it was her and I, uh, my fiance, we were up there scouting. And it was a three-day weekend I had. And still hadn't seen that moose. Wasn't talked talk to all kinds of people. Nobody saw him. I was like, man, maybe he died in the fire. Maybe he died of old age. I don't know. Um so I told JJ Sunday, I got up and I was like, okay, I'm going to go just drive these roads real quick. And if we don't see him, I'm going after Blackie. That's the little Blackie. That's the moose I'm going to go after. And lo and behold, that morning I came around a corner just driving like the main road <laughs> and look up and I see a moose on the sagebrush hill. And I'm like, oh, there's a moose. So I glass it. It's a little guy. And I can see another moose body in the dark timber right next to the sage. And so I cruise up a little bit more and Sure enough, he was standing there, and I just, I just couldn't believe it. First time I'd seen him in two years. So I was like, oh, my gosh, there he is. And <clears throat> so it was on from there. I scouted every weekend I could. I think it was, there was three more weeks before the season. The next weekend I went up, did not find him. The next weekend I went up, ended up finding him. Um, I hiked way, way back into this glassing point where I could see this giant uh, willow valley where he supposedly liked to hang out and, um, I'm glass and glass and glass. And then all of a sudden I glass look over at my truck and the damn moose is standing 30 yards from my truck. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell? And I see my dad drive up next to my truck. So he's getting, you know, front row and I see him get out of the car and I'm like, Oh boy, what's he doing? And, and so, you know, he's, he got to see the moose up close and personal. And after that, he was like, okay, yeah, we're not shooting little blackie. Like ghost is, <laughs> ghost the, is the moose that we, we need to get. And, uh, um, you know, one thing I'm big on too, which I think unfortunately we're losing a lot of to get a little bit off track here, but is hunting ethics. Um, there's a lot of hunting ethics that, you know, my dad raised me on and I'm, I'm very passionate about that. And I think it's something that I wish a lot of people would get back to, but, um, I, you know, like I mentioned, I talked to everybody I met up there and if I met another moose hunter, it was, it was awesome to meet them for one. And, you know, we just kind of discussed our plans and, you know, I'm like, okay, you're hunting that area. This is the area I'm focusing on. We'll stay out of each other's hair. And, you know, we had a mutual agreements, um, but I did run into one, turned out to be a moose hunter, told me he was hunting deer. Um, I, I, I ended up showing him Probably pictures. I told him everything he knew. I told him everything I knew, you know, where all the moose were. I showed him pictures of the moose I was after, where he was hanging out. I was like, okay, if you see this moose, you know, I, this is my truck. I'm camping here. Come find me. Um, long story short, uh, day before opener, he's right where the moose usually is. And, of course, ghost is there raking trees in the willows and just, you know, getting his velvet off. And I'm filming him from a ways away. And one of my buddies goes up and talks to this individual and he's like, Hey, um, yeah, my buddy said, you have a deer tag in here. Um, the moose is here. You know, do you mind if, you know, we, we're going to go after this moose in the morning. So I hope we don't, you know, cross paths on your deer hunt. And he's like, Oh, well, 
I actually have a bull moose tag. I uh, felt bad about telling your friend I had a deer tag, but wow. Um, so and he ended he up putting his tent. They weren't happy. <laughs> yeah, he ended up parking his tent. You know, right about 300 yards from where the moose was, and uh, you know, opening morning, I got in there super early. I uh, had some help from my friends, you know, up on the hillside, they were doing some glass and spotting for me. I went into the willows in the dark and, uh, lo and behold, that hunter came, sat 40 yards from me in the morning. And yeah, it was just a very, uh, I guess, unfortunate situation and just not kind of what I planned <laughs> to happen opening morning. But we, we crossed each other's paths for the first three days of the hunt, you know, continuously. The moose disappeared. We couldn't find them. We obviously ran them off. And I was like, great. You know, I called them ghosts for a reason. I only saw them three times in two years. And uh, he's gone now and um, ended up talking to that hunter. And he told me he found a bigger one elsewhere. So he was going to go after that moose come Tuesday if he didn't kill this one. So I was like, okay, well, sounds good. And he did. He ended up leaving and uh, the next day found the moose about five miles as a crow flies. So it was a pretty dang good distance from where he was on Friday, um, the day before the season started. And he had a cow um, and another bull with him. <clears throat> so we started, dad and I started making the stock in on him and uh, he was in a big like beaver meadow willows, you know, like 12 foot, 13 foot willows. Um, and he ended up going in the dark timber and it kind of was close to some private land. So we didn't want him to get to the private. So we tried to get in there as fast as we could and quietly as we could. And we made it all the way to the border of the private and never saw him. And, uh, so we just dropped a little bit lower in the dark timber, closer to the willows and did another lap. And we had the wind in our face. Everything was perfect. We're walking real slow. My dad and I are separated probably 80 yards apart. And uh, I look up and I just see black in the timber. You know, I'm like, oh, God, you know, here goes my heart start pounding. And I pull my binos up, look, and boom, there he is. You know, just monster rack. I see a cow. I see a little bull. He's turning. It looks like the whole forest is moving. I'm like, oh, my God, there he is. You know, this is the moment I've dreamed about for two years. It's not, not many people can say they had a moose tag for two years in Colorado. So <laughs> um, I range it. He's about 80 yards. Um, I'm like, okay, I'm going to get to 40. Um, in Colorado, it's the seasons now you can use archery, muzzleloader, or rifle in its respective season. Um, and unfortunately, in Colorado, muzzleloader and archery for moose open the same day, which I don't agree with. But the first full week is both. And it's kind of a crazy shit show now, but, um, I just wish archery hunters could have at least a week before muzzleloader opens, but, um, that's a different topic. So I'll be honest with you at this point, you know, I got my orange on, I'm carrying my muzzleloader in one hand and bow in the other. I'm like, I'm killing this moose and it's going to go down one way or the other. And I really wanted to do it with my bow. I get to about 40 yards or 50 yards and I don't know what happened, but the cow just, I didn't snap a twig. Like I said, wind was perfect. The cow whips her head up and I'm like, oh man, 50 yards. And it was like the real thick timber. I was like, I don't know. I need to get to 40, but she just takes off. And I was like, oh shit. And so the bull whips its head up before I could even try drawing my bow back. The bull takes off 
into the willows. Oh no. So I lost all control. I dropped my bow on the ground and I took off with the muzzle loader. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't know. My dad, he's 80 yards up from me and he, he did end up seeing the moose and you know, he all of a sudden he sees me streaking across the woods, hurtling logs like I'm running in track, you know, jumping hurdles <laughs> and just did everything I was taught not to do, you know, <laughs> but it ended up working out. I, I was hauling ass through the woods and, um, and, then and he was sudden, going, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I was grunting at the moose, man. I, you name it. I'm trying to get that guy to stop. He won't stop. And then he runs out into the willows and I mean, moose are big animals, but those willows are tall and thick. And I'm like, Oh my God, I blew it. Like, what was I doing? I just like, just started mental breakdown, you know, and I get to the edge of the willows and just start walking. And I'm like, Oh my gosh. And I come around a willow and there's like a little 40 yard meadow, like 40 yards wide right there. And he's just standing and I'm like, Holy crap. So I dropped to a knee put the muzzleloader on him right behind his shoulder and pull the trigger smoke clears. He's running away. And again, I just lost all control. I started chasing the damn moose. <laughs> I'm like, wait. I ran about 20 yards and stopped. I'm like, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> so I reload the muzzleloader and I'm like, shit, I don't even know if I hit him. And, you know, I didn't feel comfortable. Like after, like just in the moment and just, you start second guessing everything, you know, the animal you dreamed of the past two years, you, did you blow it or not? And so every, you know, at this point I turned the radio on, everybody's like yelling, like, what, what happened? What happened? And, you know, I, I went off. I didn't know what was going on. I stressed out. And he had a bad attitude. Not a bad attitude. I thought I blew it. I thought I missed. And, We've all uh, been there. Yeah. So my dad comes along and, um, He's like, well, where'd you shoot from? Or no, what happened? I, I was like, shit, I, I don't he know. Was, I'm going to go find my... out in the woods somewhere looking for the I moose. I was out in the woods looking for the moose at this point. I didn't even, like, try to track him. I don't know what the hell I was thinking. But finally... I reeled like, him back in. Finally, my dad just called me down on the radio. <laughs> and he's like, dad. you need to come back here. Tell me where you shot from. I'm like, okay. So I come back. I shot from here. And I'm like, you... Uh, he was standing there. You go look for blood. I'm going to go try to find my bow. Like... It's laying in the woods somewhere. <laughs> and so, so I go looking for my bow, and then he radios me. He's like, I found blood. So I stopped looking for the bow and went over to my dad, and the blood was pretty good, honestly. And we were tracking it. It was in tall grass, and um, we ended up tracking him about 400 yards and found him alive, bedded, and was able to put another round in him there. And uh, – yeah, that was probably one of the most exciting things I've ever witnessed <laughs> in my it life. Sounds like a rodeo. And I've, I've been hunting for 35, 40 years. But coming up on that moose bedded down, when he would turn his head and look, the whole woods would move. I've never seen anything that big in my life. And my heart was beating out of my chest. And we had to stand there and wait 40 minutes for him to stand up. That was the most exciting 40 minutes, I think, of my hunting career. It was just unbelievable. Well, and what's crazy is the Colorado subspecies of moose really isn't that big in comparison to an Alaskan moose. But, Thomas, right. that bull you shot last year was every bit of a respectable Yukon moose. Like, that thing was a tank. Dude. The absolute I'm, freaking tank. I'm looking at it on Instagram right yeah, now. Thank you. 
Thomas, I'm freaking blown away, man. That is the biggest thing I've ever seen. That's a dinosaur. That's yeah, the biggest was, thing I've ever seen. He was he was everything I could have dreamed of. I mean, the one thing I wanted was a moose with big fronts. And you Colorado boys know that you don't get that. You get you get split fronts, which is your goal if you're into scoring, you know, into Boone and Crockett scoring. Um, you got to have split fronts. Otherwise, you lose about 20 points um, just right off the bat. Uh, so, you know, I wanted, I wanted something with more than two points and my, that was my goal. And he ended up having five on one side and four on the other, which like you said, Caleb, I mean, that's more of a, a Yukon thing, but, um, Colorado's got some damn good moose. He ended up, you know, put it in perspective. You see how big that one is. He was 35th in the state overall. So there's, there's some big moose in this state, but, um, it, it's kind of interesting once you learn about how they score moose though. I'm not. I mean, I'm a little biased because I wanted mine to score a little better, but, um, you know, it, it kind of was interesting how they score moose. Even the guy who holds the state record, he messaged me, and he was pretty worried that mine was going to bypass his, and I wasn't <laughs> even close. I was off by 30 inches. And, uh, you know, it's it just puts it in perspective on how this, they score those things. But, um, yeah, it was, it was everything I could have dreamed of, and, you know, he's – He's awesome. I can't wait him wait to get him back from Mission Taxidermy. I'm doing a pedestal mount on him, so he's going to be floor level in my house. And uh, yeah, it's it's going to be epic. So, <laughs> and for anybody that wants to just kind of see the last part of that hunt, I did post it out on our on our uh, YouTube channel, so you can go out there and see actually the shot on my sheep and the shot on his moose out there. I put some music to it and just did a little video. It's pretty cool. You can kind of check that out. That's awesome. So I find it fascinating too with this tag that um, you this is kind of like a weird scenario that you got to know for, like you said, two full seasons basically that you were going to get this tag. So what was the like the roller coaster of emotions of like <laughs> basically having that tag for a full year, year and a half, knowing you're going to be getting a bull, a bull moose in Colorado? Well, I can tell you one thing. My fiance was sick and tired of me saying I had a moose tag. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure all my friends were sick and tired of me talking about having a moose tag. Um, you know, I, every chance I got, I told somebody I had a moose tag. So it was, uh, you know, and I was pretty lucky. You know, I was, I'm 30 years old and was able to harvest a moose in Colorado. You know, my dad's been putting in for you know, for a long time since the beginning and he hasn't drawn a tag. So it's just, you know, kind of luck of the draw. I know we have our weighted system, which you're welcome. I've got my opinions <laughs> on the weighted system as well, but um, you know, it's, I was, I was one of the lucky ones and, you know, having it in my pocket for two years, I'm not going to lie. It was pretty damn stressful. <laughs> um, it was, it Dad was just, started putting him in when he was 12. So yeah. So Building that points. definitely helped building points since i was 12 so i gotta thank my dad for that you know i'm like i said 30 and i have 21 sheep points so i'm the max i could possibly have it from putting in so heck yeah um you know thankfully he was able to do that for all you dads out there you know it's a lot cheaper than it used to be um to put in for tags back back then you know my dad had to pay full price of all the tags and wait to be reimbursed so um you know if you're trying to get your kids into hunting start putting them in for tags now there's there's a lot of opportunities there's a lot more opportunities now for kids in colorado than there was when we were growing up um there's all those leftover um the draw you know it caters to kids there's all the uh 
they have all these late season tags that roll into cow tags or doe tags. Um, a lot of cool opportunities. So get your kids out there hunting young, get them putting in young. But yeah, man, Garrett, having the tag for two years was not, I mean, it was fun, but it was, it was a lot of stress, yeah. man. I, I, it, it, I could have paid for an Alaskan Yukon moose probably with the amount of money I spent and <laughs> looking for this damn moose. So yeah, and gas <laughs> money driving up to go scout. Yeah. Gas everyone money. dedicated to it. We yeah. had a lot of fun scouting. We it was, did. It was it was awesome. Yeah, that's an that's an adventure. That's like a that's a long time coming. Yeah, it's it's just you know the, the scouting was awesome. We we were honestly in moose every single day. We scouted. We would see twenty moose a day. Like we were getting them pinned down, man. It was just incredible just being able to see them. I got so many pictures. If anybody ever draws a moose tag, um, you know, and I'll, I'll be honest, I drew a seven eight. Uh, 191. So, you know, if anybody draws a tag in that area, I'm, I'm willing to help. I'm not one of those hey, guys. Hey, that... hey, hey, hey. <laughs> Let's not get crazy now. That's what I'm about, though. Like you said, you know, I'm, I'm about helping people. You know, I'm not one of those guys that, you know, oh, you've waited 21 years to draw. You should have done your homework. Like, you know, <laughs> if you need help, let me know. So I'm, I love it. It's awesome. And yeah, for the record, man. Thomas, you only told me, I think, 17 times that you had a bull moose tag. Just That's for the it. record, I think it was 17. <laughs> I'm trying to look at the messages right now. <laughs> 17. Did you ever find your bow, or did you just go ahead and sacrifice oh, that one? Moose cats? Yeah. No, yeah, circling all the way back to that. I ended up, uh, we packed the moose out. Thankfully, it was a fairly easy pack out. I had a, a whole bunch of people there helping me. You know, I had a great group of guys. They sacrificed their time. Um, you know, that's what it was all about. My, my, I've got good friends, you know, good family. Um, you know, even one of my friends, he went a week before my season started to try to find the moose. He stayed up there a whole week before I even was able to go. And, uh, you know, I just got to thank them a lot. And, you know, we, when we finally got the moose down, I told my dad, you know, go, go back into town, pick up some ice, um, so we can get this moose on ice. And, uh, so he went to town and, I didn't even carry a piece of meat, to be honest. I'd quarter, I'd cut a quarter off, and uh, you know the the pack mules, they'd they'd throw it on their back and carry it out. It was only luckily it was only like 500 yards to the truck, so that worked out great. He ran toward the truck after I shot him, so um, you know I ended up carrying the head and the hide out, which I mean I'm not gonna lie, I was like 200 pounds. It was freaking heavy. That picture is um, phenomenal of you carrying yeah, the head on your Yeah, back. that last video there carrying yeah. him, it just puts in perspective how big he is. And, um, you know, I'm a six-foot guy, and he makes me look kind of small. So, um, But I ended up – we packed them all out, and I was like, okay, guys, I'm going to go look for my bow. So <laughs> go we're looking for my bow. Somehow I end up finding it. Luckily I put it up upright with my fletchings up in the quiver, and I have bright <laughs> arrows um i use wraps and everything do my own fletching so i have really bright arrows i was able to find it after like an hour and then uh i was able to harvest something with my bow that hunt i shot a grouse on the way out and we ate it for dinner so there you go along with some moose uh tenderloin so that was awesome <laughs> yeah, and I'll, I'll be honest moose is the best wild game i've ever had i don't know if you ever get the opportunity to have it it's it's phenomenal it's better than elk it's better than whitetail like it's it's great little grainy but flavor is phenomenal I was really hoping that you were going to tell us that you had to fight that guy that was up there in your area after telling you he was a deer hunter because he found yeah. a bow. Yeah. That would have been even better. Oh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I'll tell that in the next story. They seem yeah, to grow. Yeah, that'll make it more interesting. 
I think we also need to clarify your fiance is not a pack mule. She has a name. Now your dad, Tom, he's a pack mule. CJ, they're pack mules. Yeah. But your fiance is probably going to listen to this, so she's not a pack mule. She's a loving well, person. She, she actually left. She left like two days before I shot the moose, so she ended up not being there. She had to go back to work. So, but yeah, CJ, Chris, um, Brandon had to leave, but CJ and Chris literally carried all the meat. Uh, Stefan, he helped me, you know, skin it and cut it up, quarter it out, and then uh, you know, Stefan carried some meat out on the last pack as well. But my dad showed up perfect timing. Of, you know, of course, I think he was waiting around the corner until we were done carrying it. But yeah, I was like, yeah. <laughs> I got. I sat on the truck with the full load, and he pulled up. I was like, man, yep. that was perfect. So. <laughs> Well, guys, I, uh, I don't want to cut things too short here, but I think this is a great point and a great part of this where maybe we can talk about doing a part two after the season's over. Talk about your sheep hunt, Tom. Bring you guys right. back in. Talk about some of your success stories from the archery season. Maybe we can all cut up and bullshit about how I miss an OTC bull or you know, maybe how I sound like a turkey because it's a call that Thomas gave me instead of one that I bought from Tom. But, uh, Usually we try to wrap these up right around an hour, but this has been awesome, guys. Absolutely love having you on. It's yeah, always definitely. a good time hanging out with you and talking with you, and hopefully we can set up part two. Yeah, we yeah, appreciate uh, it. I think that sounds like a great plan. Like I said, I like to tell stories, so sorry, Dad, I took a little long on the moose there, That's but right. it's a, it's a, no, a two-year awesome. story, you know? So Yeah. Um, yeah. cheap story is a little long, too, because there's a lot of adventure that happened. So Yeah. yeah so well, we want to hear it for round two. Yeah, so we yeah, can tell that story and, and uh, hopefully tell some stories of this year. I, I drew a Unit 44 fourth rifle buck tag Ooh. this year, so I spent uh, 20 points on that this year. So um, hopefully turn up something nice there we can talk about. That's an exciting yeah, tag. That's phenomenal. That's I'll, be, uh, I'll be heading to Montana for the first time to chase mule deer, and I've Heck got yeah. five points. I've got five points for elk and uh, deer in Colorado. So hopefully next year, maybe we come out and see you guys. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah. Well, yeah, we appreciate the heck out of this, guys. This has been awesome. Uh, where can, uh, or Tom or Thomas, whoever, uh, where can folks find you on social media? Uh, my High Note Game Calls on Instagram and Facebook. And then uh, we have that YouTube channel, My High Note Game Calls. And then our website is just www.milehighnotegamecalls.com. Yeah, and shout out to your uh, YouTube channel because uh, you have like some great succinct videos with like quick tips and things yep. like that. That's yep. ma- going to be massively. That's free information for folks out there. So yeah, we're running a quick tip quick tip series right now. So we'll have about six little uh quick tips right before the season so yeah you can get out there and check that out oh that's awesome and then you know yeah if you're going elk hunting this fall go check them out and then uh definitely check out the seminars they're closed now but check them out whenever they're back open whenever tom's back up and running um but yeah we'll just go around the horn here see if anybody has any closing thoughts caleb you want to kick us off uh yeah guys you know me i'm kind of sentimental i'm always deep in thought and uh i heard something the other day that 80 percent of your results come from 20 percent of your actions whether that's out in the woods whether it's what you're doing in a daily effort of whatever it might be focus on 20 percent of what you're doing because that's going to have a reflection of 80 percent of the outcome so when you're in the elk woods you know let's talk about hunting for a second here pay attention to that 20 percent the wind how you're doing it what you're doing you're calling where you're at, water sources, pay attention to that 20% because that's going to be 80% of your success. 
Man, always so sentimental when I talk. Man, <laughs> that, was, that was beautiful. Was I, I, love it. I just want to thank you guys for for coming on and talking to us. I Thomas, you and I have been kind of going back and forth for a couple months now, kind of trying to get this organized. And uh, no, it's been great talking to you guys. You guys have like an incredible knack for teaching, and like it's just it's awesome. Um, our mutual friend Brandon has been the one that kind of introduced me to you guys and. I got a chance to talk to you guys a little bit there at the uh, Sportsman's Expo earlier this year, but I'm, I'm excited for what you guys have going forward. And I think I might go ahead and take one of your classes myself once they, uh, once we get back from the season. Yeah, that'd be great. Yeah, definitely. And uh, if you guys need help packing this year too, I'm obviously here in Colorado. I'm just over in Greeley. So if you two need help with anything, please, please feel free to reach out. Sounds good. We'll do. Same with you guys. Yeah, like Tom or Thomas, you got any closers for us? Um, yeah, just you know, thanks for thanks for having us on. I was looking forward to the opportunity. I know uh, we all have pretty busy schedules, so kind of hard to get together sometimes. But um, you know, it uh, it was a pleasure being on the show, and uh, I enjoyed talking to y'all. And looking forward to part two and telling some more stories, sex, sex, uh, success stories. Now, hopefully, I'm sure uh, the bloopers. <laughs> you know, they make the you know bloopers are real. It's yeah. It's like my dad mentioned earlier, you know, I mean, you're not going to call, you're not going to shoot every elk you call in. I don't know how many times I've had elk at 10 yards and not been able to shoot. So, um, you know, keep your heads up, keep practicing and uh, don't the be afraid Hollywood, to call. That's for sure. Yeah. <laughs> Biggest thing for me, I think for our listeners out there is, uh, you know, Thomas and I live and die by the call. So, you know, you'll never hear us say, keep the call in your pocket, but our big saying around mile high note game calls is don't be afraid to break the silence. Hmm. That's what it takes to kill elk. So yep. don't hunt be afraid like you to mean break it. the silence. Yep. And then our tagline is hunt like you mean it. So I love that. Yeah. Appreciate you guys. Listeners. We appreciate the hell out of you guys. Definitely go follow uh, mile high note game calls on Instagram and check them out on all their socials. Um, we also just, launched uh an instagram page for the podcast itself um so if you guys want to go support and drop a follow there it'd be greatly appreciated anybody who's listening um it's just the hot lift eat podcast uh on instagram and uh as always we appreciate the hell out of you guys and we'll talk to you next week